1: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
2: dot com. Hi, Audings. This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Your home is important. It's where you keep all your belongings. It's where you sleep. It's where you feel the most safe. Well, should feel the most safe. This week's episode is about homes that have no heart. First, we'll pay a visit to the notorious House of Dune. Then, we'll explore a supposedly cursed haunted house attraction in Nebraska. After that, we'll stop by a dilapidated shack in New York. And finally, move into a house that's next door to an abandoned church with a dark history. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com/snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com snarled. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to read some listener mail. In the Fatal Friendship episode a couple weeks back, I read a story from Ryan, who was a former demonologist. I asked him why he no longer was one, and this was his response. Hi, Sapphire. You asked that I'd email you in response to my story about being a demonologist. I retired because I was diagnosed with cancer, and I believe it was directly related to doing exorcisms. When doing them, you give a part of your light to that person to help them, and it felt like my light came from my stomach. After doing demonology for almost 10 years, I started having stomach issues and found that it was cancer. I was forced to retire after my last case of a teenager turning into a werewolf. I still review cases and help when I can, but I don't perform anymore. Hope that answers your question. Wow, that's really intense. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Ryan, and I hope that you're doing okay today. So, one is hear something scary? The following is a story that Brooke's grandfather told her to warn her to never go near the House of Dune. When I was around 17 years old, I had a friend named Fraser. He was a bit of a daredevil, always taking risks and doing stupid stunts. He had no regard for his own safety. One night, me, Fraser, and our friend Ashley were hanging out, and Fraser mentioned the House of Dune, a house that was about a half mile from the outskirts of the village. Generally, our town wasn't that superstitious, but there was something about that place that scared all the locals. So, obviously, we all fell silent and then tried to steer clear of the subject. But this really annoyed Fraser. I wish people would stop acting like the house is so dangerous. He said, the thing was, none of us had actually ever gone near the house. Everything we knew about it was from the stories our parents told us. We didn't know why we had to avoid it. We just knew that we should. And Fraser wasn't the type of guy to follow the rules. Let's put an end to this stupid superstition and spend the night there together, right now. Me and Ashley shared a worried glance, but Fraser was very insistent. So, without any real intention of spending the night, we decided to follow Fraser to the house. We thought we could maybe talk him out of it. So we pull up to the garden of the house, packed with our sleeping bags and flashlights. The garden was completely overgrown. Plants were wrapping around the gate, the tarmac, and the house. The windows were shattered. The house was giving off an energy that, to this day, I still can't describe accurately. Sitting in that car, Looking up at the bleak, desolate building, it was enough to make me come to my senses. We decided that this was a really bad idea and we should head home. All of us except Fraser. You're really going to let fear control your lives? He taunted us. Everyone is afraid of this house and doesn't even know why. Don't you want to prove everyone wrong? After about a half hour of arguing, Fraser realized he wasn't going to convince us and let us spend the night in the car while he spent the night in the house alone. Before he went inside, he told us that he planned on staying in the attic. Every 15 minutes or so, he would bang on the attic wall facing the front yard to give us a sign that he was still okay. Then at 8am, he would return to the car. We wished him luck and watched as he confidently strutted into the house. We waited. About five minutes went by until we heard a thud coming from the attic. We saw the faint silhouette of an arm waving at us in the window. Relieved to know that he was still okay, me and Ashley got comfy in the car, but there was no way we were going to fall asleep. And just like Fraser promised, every 15 minutes or so, we'd hear the reassuring thud. It was now about 1 a.m. Me and Ashley were finally comfortable enough to slowly fall asleep. I wasn't sure how long I had been knocked out, but I woke up to the same thud sound, only it was a little bit faster. No longer every 15 minutes, but more like every five seconds. I wasn't sure why Fraser was pounding more frequently now, but as long as he was okay, it didn't really matter. I fell back asleep. I didn't wake up until the morning sun shone on my face. Ashley had also just woken up. It was past 8 a.m. in the morning, but Fraser hadn't come back to the car yet. Fraser was still pounding on the attic wall. We figured he was just showing off now, trying to prove to us that he could stay even longer in the house. But we really wanted to head back home now, and we weren't just gonna wait for Fraser to be ready to come down. Hey, Fraser, I shouted up at the attic. You proved your point. It's time to go home now. Ashley and I had no choice but to go get him ourselves. Although the house was still fairly creepy in the morning, we felt a little braver, knowing that Fraser made it through the night. So we entered the house. There were footprints in the dusty floor that showed us Fraser's path. We followed it up the deteriorating staircase and to the attic, the thuds getting louder and louder as we got closer and closer. We opened the door. There was Fraser, hanging from the ceiling, his body swinging back and forth, and every five seconds, slamming into the wall.
1: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
2: And now, more Something Scary. The following is a true story from Noah, who works at a haunted house in Nebraska. I work at a haunted house called Haunted Hollow, the best haunted house in my city, Omaha. Now, a place like that is already full of ghouls and all sorts of scares, but ever since I started working there, my coworkers made sure I knew just exactly how haunted our house truly was. Many of the props in the main house had been bought from auctions, including pianos, books, and even a real casket. We also have a small building near our marketplace entitled Velisca Axe Murder Museum. It contains several objects from the famous Villisca Murder House, a home in Iowa where a family of six and two other young children were murdered in 1912. Items include chests, chairs, old toys, and even the axes that were found on the property. The museum also has some medical equipment and gurneys from an old asylum that was nearby. I have only worked at the house for one season, but I've had a few experiences already, as well as what I've heard from coworkers. My season was actually going quite well, until one night. I was working apart on our second floor, the most populated of the house. It was slow, so we would all pick the warmest room in the house and hang out in there. This room happened to be the library, where we kept many books, old furniture, and the clown chair. In this room, there is a little toy piano. When I saw it, I got really excited. I always loved playing music and plinked out a couple of notes before one of the older girls said, You shouldn't touch that. Why? Am I going to break it? Like I said, a lot of the props were old items bought from auctions. I didn't want to risk breaking something expensive and having to pay for it. No, because it's possessed. If you touch it, you get cursed. I immediately picked myself up and positioned myself as far away from the little piano as I could but I'm worried I might have been too late. The next group came up and I returned to my spot, only to be punched and knocked off my platform by a frightened patron. I heard he was escorted out by security. Since that kind of stuff happened pretty often at houses, I thought nothing of it. The very next night, I worked a ride over by the market right next to the museum. The end of my shift was slow, so I went inside and looked over everything. While I was in there, I felt a heavy sadness, but also a strange dread. It might have had to do with the two axes that were laying on the table right in front of me, especially knowing what they had done. I turned to leave as soon as I could. On my way out, I heard something. A giggle? It could have come from the customers or the other actors loitering nearby, but it sounded as if it had come from inside the small building behind me. It distracted me long enough for me to lose my footing, my shoe slotting into a large crack in the old wood steps that lead up to the building. I yelled as my ankle twisted and I went down pretty hard, even banging my knee on the edge of the step above the crack. There was a loud, cracking noise and a lot of pain. Seeing as I was new and sort of socially awkward, I didn't really tell anyone what happened. I cried nearly the whole way home and discovered the next day that I was unable to stand at all. I had managed to not only spray my ankle, but fractured a bone in my foot and cut my knee fairly deep. I ended up calling in sick for both of my jobs for two days so I could let it heal up a bit. When I got back, things only got worse. For the next few days, I was assigned to a simple airbrush booth in the carnival area so I could stay off my foot for a few more days. Eventually, I got sick of the repetitive carnival tune, and our manager brought me an old-fashioned radio to tune it out. Most of the time, it would play classical music from various times and places. Sometimes it would churn out static and need to be adjusted tirelessly. One of those times, I reached for the knob, only to hear a staticky come through the speakers. I know it was just the radio picking up a little blip of signal, but it still scared me. Another night, a large branch fell off of one of our trees and tore a hole through my tent. Not while I was inside, but mere moments after I had finished cleaning up and made my way back up to market to sign out. The timing was pretty weird. At this point, I was beginning to think the curse might be real. A little while later, I was assigned greeter. Greeter is in charge of letting people into the house, explaining our rules, which does include not touching anything, oops, and providing the first scare of the house, a snarling, flailing werewolf animatronic that we had lovingly named Lawrence. While nearly everything in the house scared me, I loved Lawrence like a son. I couldn't help but smile whenever I pressed the button that set him off. So the night had been going smoothly, a bit busy, but otherwise very well. Then, around the middle of the night, I let a group in and went through everything, hit the button, smiled as Lawrence snarled at the group, and flailed his clawed arms around wildly. I continued to smile as his partition slid back up to hide him until the next group, until I felt the tug. I had misjudged where to stand when I set him off, and one of his arms had snagged my hair, the wig I was wearing reaching my lower back. Since it was a wig, it didn't hurt, but I can't even imagine how scary it would have been for an actor with real long hair if Lawrence had snatched them up and tugged them back into hiding with him. The rest of the season had its ups and downs. The only other major thing I heard was about the monster in Peekaboo's room on the third floor. Peekaboo is a living doll, her room filled with swinging and playing dolls and stuffed deer heads. I got to do her room twice towards the end of the month, and our manager made sure I knew very well about how to act. No touching the dolls, don't throw the ball too hard, and no sitting on the bed. Many other actors had felt something grab their legs while sitting on the bed, and the ball would often roll towards that side of the room, as if it was being pulled there. I guess he figured if it really was something down there, it might hurt my already damaged foot even more, and put me out of commission for the rest of the year. I spent a lot of time with him in his room next door, not really wanting to let the curse take advantage of a literal monster to use against me. Nothing happened in there that was out of the ordinary. A boy did get suddenly very sick and had to spend some time outside of the house while working with me up there, but that's about it. Like I said, I've only worked there for one season. It's over now and I won't go back until next October. I only hope that the curse is confined to Haunted Hollow And will not start up again once I return. Thank you for that story, Noah. I have actually heard of a lot of cases where these haunted attractions use real items from supposedly haunted locations. This actually reminds me of this one story. I believe it took place in Long Beach, California, where there was a mummy that was used. It was either a movie set or a ride and when they tried to move it, they ended up breaking the arm and then realizing that it wasn't a prop but had been a real corpse hanging this whole time. Anyways, um, if anybody else has had any experiences working at the Haunted Hollow, let me know. I'm curious to hear about it. Our next story was submitted by Tess from New York City. This is a story her mother and aunt told her when she was younger, and they swear that it's true. My mother grew up in a small town in upstate New York during the 60s with her mother, father, five sisters, and brother. The town is called Hyde Park and is semi-famous for being the birthplace of former President FDR. Back in the 60s, the town was more close-knit and everyone and everything was the same. Every house was medium-sized, well-maintained, and sightly. All but one house. The old shack on River Road overlooked the Hudson River and was the last house before a steep decline. Behind it, many large, beautiful houses where friends of my mother's family lived. Neighborhood kids joked that the house had a witch living inside, and they would often dare each other to see who could touch the side of the house the longest, running back as fast as they could each time. It was just kids being kids. One Halloween, my mother, who was about 12 years old at the time, went out trick-or-treating with my aunt, her nine-year-old sister. Their sacks were almost full, but there was one house they still had yet to visit. The River Road Shack. Growing up, my mother was shy and riddled with anxiety. She was not the best at making friends, so she knew very little about the lore surrounding the River Road Shack. Her little sister begged her, Please, let's trick-or-treat over at that house. But my mom refused to go, saying, Something about it doesn't feel safe. You heard mom tell us not to go near it. But as her sister begged and begged, my mom gave in and walked toward the house, being pulled by her little sister, a growing pit in her stomach. They walked, passing the mansions for what seemed like forever, until they finally reached the old shack overlooking the river. Not a light was on in the house, but my mom had her dad's flashlight, so she felt just a little bit safer. As my mom crept up the front steps of the shack, Her sister skipped up and fearlessly knocked as loud as possible. They waited for about a minute and my mother, relieved, said to her little sister, Hey, nobody probably lives here. Let's go home and eat our candy. Just as she was finishing her sentence, the door creaked open and an old woman's gnarled hand inched out of the crack. My mother had never been so scared in her life. Something about the situation felt so wrong to her. My mom and her sister then heard, from behind the door, a slow, raspy voice. Come in, dearies. My aunt was too scared to even say trick or treat, and my mother was frozen in her tracks. As the hand twisted into a bony gesture, beckoning the girls inside, my mom slammed the door closed as hard as she could, grabbing her sister by the wrist and bolted as fast as she could away from the old shack. The two young girls did not stop running until they got to their house. My mom and aunt burst through the door, catching their breaths. Their siblings were emptying their pillowcases onto the living room carpet and trading candy and looked up to see what was wrong. My mom and aunt knelt down and told them what had just happened to them. Some of their siblings laughed, while others gasped. Now that they had caught their breath and were settled down, my mom and aunt began to realize how silly it sounded. If anything, it probably was just a very old lady who didn't take good care of her house. So they began to empty their pillowcases and trade candy with their brothers and sisters. My aunt had almost emptied her pillowcase entirely, but could feel one more piece still at the bottom. She shook out the bag, and it fell onto the floor. What landed on the carpet was not a piece of candy, but the bloody, bony finger of the old woman who had beckoned the girls inside of her broken-down shack. It must have detached itself from the old woman's ancient, knotted hand when my mother slammed the door on it in instinctive self-defense. The children screamed and cried, and the finger was quickly disposed of by my disgusted grandfather. This story terrified me when I was little, but over the years, I've become more skeptical and now believe it was merely a cautionary tale, warning my cousins and I not to disobey our parents or talk to strangers. But... Whenever we visit my grandparents in Hyde Park, an eerie feeling always washes over me if my mom and I happen to be driving past the old, broken-down shack on River Road on our way down to the river. If the story was true, I wonder what happened to the old woman. I wonder if she really was a witch, and I wonder what would have happened to my mom and aunt if they did end up going inside of the old shack on River Road. Thank you, Tess, for sending that story in. I really enjoyed it. These are some of my favorite types of stories, the ones that are passed down from parents, grandparents, great-great-grandparents. And whether or not they're 100% true or only partially true, there's just something so compelling about hearing a story that's been passed down. That's actually how I initially learned about a lot of Filipino myths and creatures because of the stories that my grandfather told me which, by the way, was a huge inspiration for something scary because I wanted a way to immortalize these types of tales.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: And now we've reached our final chapter. This story comes from Cassandra and follows two young girls who moved into a house near a haunted church. 14-year-old Abby pulled her curly hair into a low ponytail as she, her dad, and her little sister, Claire, got out of the moving trunk. It was beginning to drizzle, and Abby knew that she and her dad needed to hurry and get the sleeping bags inside. Just as she was about to call out to him, he popped up behind her with the bags, making her jump a foot into the air. Well, girls, what do you think? Her father asked. Abby looked up at their new home. It had a large, sagging porch, broken windows, and a roof that looked as though it was going to collapse. The wooden exterior was so washed out that it was impossible to tell what the original color had been. To make things worse, there was a large church behind the house that was in even worse shape. Suddenly, her nine-year-old sister Claire popped up behind her, practically vibrating with excitement. It looks awesome, Daddy, Claire exclaimed. Yeah, Abby mumbled. It sure does. As the wind began to howl, the three quickly ran up the steps with fast food and sleeping bags, and as Abby crossed the threshold, goosebumps raced down her body and a chill shot through her spine. She was just hoping this house had a working heater. As she grabbed the banister to climb the stairs to her bedroom, she passed Claire, who was staring into a corner of the front entryway. What a weirdo, Abby thought. When she woke up the next morning, Abby quickly headed downstairs to the sound of crackling bacon. As she sat next to Claire at the table, she saw that she was coloring something. Who's that? Abby inquired casually. That's my friend, Charlie. He wears a dress and a tea necklace. Claire chirped happily. Abby concluded that she was just making up an imaginary friend and soon forgot about it. Before Abby knew it, a month had gone by. During that month, the family had been fixing up the house, and it was starting to feel more like home. One day, Abby went out to the backyard to explore. Something moved in the corner of her eye. She looked up, and there was the big old church. She stared at the window. She was pretty sure she saw someone walk past it. But before she could figure out who it was, she was called inside for dinner. Abby wanted to learn more about this abandoned church, So a few days later, Abby decided to head to the nearby library. While she was walking over, she saw her sister strolling through the cemetery in front of the church. But her mouth was moving, and she was occasionally glancing up and to her right. She looked as though she was talking to someone, but she was completely alone. Abby rolled her eyes. Her sister was really committing to this imaginary friend, Charlie. Hey, Claire, I'm going to the library, Abby said. Their dad was at work and claire had been home alone before so abby didn't think twice about leaving her by herself claire yelled back happily but she never looked away from her imaginary friend when abby got to the library she quickly found the public computers and decided to look up the church when she clicked on a picture of it an article popped up stating its history abby's curiosity turned to horror when she read that the church's priest had murdered missing children in the area. The angry parents and followers had brutally killed the priest before the authorities arrived. The article page showed a picture of the priest, and her blood ran cold. He wore long, white priest robes and a large cross, a dress and a tea necklace. He looked exactly like her sister's pictures. Abby bolted from the desk and to the front doors. It had started to rain while she was there and it was pouring by the time she was out of the parking lot. It seemed like forever before she saw her house over the hill. Her sister was walking towards the church in a white dress and looked soaked to the bone. When Abby was close enough, she urgently threw her bike into the muck and raced to the church. And there, in front of the pulpit, was her sister, dead. Abby screamed and froze. Terror gripped her stomach. In front of her, her sister was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. If her sister was wearing that, then who had she seen walking into the church? She turned around to run and stopped. She tried to scream, but she couldn't make a sound. A man stood in front of her. He had the most malicious grin that spread from ear to ear and black bloody holes where his eyes should have been. The blood drained from Abby's face as she noticed his large, blood-stained crucifix and his blood-drenched white priest robes. The priest lured her in, and there was no way out. House of Dune was inspired by Brooke, audio for that story edited by Johnny Ashley. All other story scripts edited by Adam Sinker and Sapphire Sindalo. Music and audio editing for this podcast by Sapphire Sindalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.
1: or visit Angie.com. That's ang com.
0: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list.